You guys can have your seats. Uh, thanks again for being here tonight. Um, usually what we do in the beginning of the night is we pass around some clipboards to help with ride signups. So we're going to actually do that now. Um, just a quick little spiel on rides. We go to church together, our church, Grace Community Church. It's in Sun Valley. It's about uh, 20, 25 minutes north of here. And so we go to church every Sunday. And I would say this about church when it gets to 10th week. When you think you have least time for church, it's probably when you need it most uh, in terms of the benefit that it is to be in fellowship and the effect of the preaching of God's word and the fellowship of his people. Uh, so come to church with us. Uh, sign up for a ride. We'll uh, contact you sometime tomorrow and let you know where we'll pick you up. And we'll give you more details actually later at the end of the night about rides as well. We'll give you another chance to sign up. But uh, clipboards will come by, and that's what those are um, as we look into God's word right now. Um, you probably have noticed we've themed tonight, we've called tonight, a thrill of hope. A thrill of hope. Uh, they are words from a song that you all know, Oh Holy Night, right? A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Now, you might hear Celine or... Carry you or the Grobinator or probably Mariah for most of you guys, right? If you're good and godly people, you hear Mariah singing that in your head right now. Uh, all renditions that sing the truth in that song, uh, that the coming of Jesus for mankind was a thrill of hope, uh, bursting on the scene of a hope that was not there before and so that song and that line speaks of the hope of Christmas now I think when we think of this time of year though the kind of hope we have probably if we're serious about thinking about it that kind of hope that we have is probably more based on other things hope you uh, finish the quarter okay you hope that relationship is restored, or you hope that that time at home with family isn't too awkward, and it's, it's okay, and you can venture out of your room every now and then. You hope next year's better than this year. You hope to get the internship. It's a lot of hope that we have at the end of the year because of the way that the calendar works. This time of year is about hope, but it's probably about hope in emotions and feels and vibes, if we're honest. Tonight, I want to spend just the next 15 minutes pointing you to the true hope of Christmas. I want to set our hearts and our minds on what real hope is as God's Word has for us. Because hope According to the Bible, hope for Christians at Christmas and at any other time is not just wishful thinking about uncertainties. Hope is not just positive vibes about a page in the calendar turning. Hope for the Christian at Christmas and at any other time is not just about crossing your fingers hoping for the best case scenario. Hope for the Christian at Christmas time and at any other time, 
is confident expectation rooted in God. Hope is confident expectation rooted in God, that he is who he says he is, and he does what he says he will do. And so, friends, at Christmas, hope is fundamental. For Christians, it is the hope that we indeed have. And if you don't call yourself a Christian tonight, if you don't know Jesus, this is the hope that you can have. But for Christians, this is the hope that we have. And at Christmas, we contemplate God become man, Christ come to earth as a child, and we think about this moment in history, this pivotal moment, this what we call first advent, this first appearance, this first coming of Christ. And it is for us a kaleidoscope of hope. It is a lens through which we look and we see dimensions of hope that at other points in the year are maybe just a little bit harder to see. And so if you don't know Jesus tonight, you get to look too. Um, But maybe it's more of a window or a looking glass into what we as Christians have hope in. And I hope that you would come to know Christ tonight from what you hear from God's Word. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn a little bit to some different passages. We aren't going to camp out in one like we normally might do, but we're going to look at some passages. So you can, if you would like to, turn with me to a few. We won't just yet. I just want you to take it out of your bag if you're ready for that. I want to give you tonight three reasons we have hope. It's simple. Three reasons we have hope at Christmas. The first reason is that we have hope because Jesus has come. We have hope because Jesus has come. It's past tense. He he came. This is akin to much of what we've talked about this quarter in the epistles of John and in the gospel of John we've seen too in reading it. So you thought we were done with John and his epistles, but turn to 1 John because we need to look at the verses that we've looked about several times and referred to and even have been read already tonight. But in case you missed it, 1 John 1, beginning in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we, have, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. How was that word of life made manifest? In the person of Jesus Christ. And so Christmas presents to us great hope because Jesus has come. It reminds me of uh, John 1, another passage that we've already heard tonight several times. But I think of John 1, verse 14. This is a verse you should know and underline and highlight. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen the glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, friends, the true hope of Christmas is that Jesus 
has come. He has already come. That should give us confident expectation that God is who he says he is, and he does what he says he will do. Because God's promises to his people, Israel, some that we've read tonight, we've heard in Isaiah 42 and 53, that God's promises were to make a people for his own possession, and that he had done. He promised to give them a land and to multiply them, and that through them all the families of the earth would be blessed. And yet they sinned against him, and at the same time, his steadfast love and his faithfulness was declared and shown and demonstrated over and over and over. Promises and fulfillments of deliverance. Promises and fulfillments of provision for his people. The prophets would continue even after cycles of sin and cycles of deliverance and cycles of grace and mercy and peace again with God as his people. The prophets would say, that fully and finally, in some way, the promised one, the Messiah, would come. This suffering servant we've heard of, read about tonight in Isaiah, this figure, this seemingly governmental, seemingly peace-bringing, justice-bringing figure would come in the Messiah, the promised one. And the prophet said that this would fully and finally be the, Israel, the, the future of Israel and the future of the entire world through Israel. And so God's plan was designed and ordained and fulfilled in Jesus. You see, that Jesus has come for us now is hope of all hopes, confident expectation of confident expectations. It's grace upon grace that God would become man that God would send His own Son to be born of woman and to live a perfect life and then to die a sinner's death, undeserving that He would pay the penalty for our sin. Titus 2.11 says it this way, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And that's the hope of Christmas, that God has sent a promised one, that he promised that promised one, and then he fulfilled that promise and actually sent his son. And that is the true hope of Christmas, that Jesus has come. But friends, the hope we have, because Jesus has come, isn't just a fulfillment of promises. You see, this isn't just that God vindicated his own good name, and that's the end of the story. Well, God is faithful, great, we can have hope. This is hope, because this is hope in Christ of forgiveness of sins. It is hope for peace with God. It is hope for reconciliation with God, even though we were enemies. Psalm 14 and Isaiah 53, we heard earlier, And Romans 3 talk about us, me and you, and every person that has walked this planet, save Jesus Christ. And it talks about us and says, all have sinned. There is none righteous, not even one. All we like sheep have 
gone astray, each of us to his own way. And yet Christ, the promised one, the Messiah, coming to earth as a child means that you and I, as those sheep who have gone astray, you and I have the hope of forgiveness. Romans 5.8, turn there with me. It's an important verse for you to know as well. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3.18 says it this way. Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And so, friends, that Jesus has come is reason for hope for us. For him to have died the death that Romans 5 and 1 Peter 3 talks about, for him to have paid the penalty for our sin, he had to have been born as a child and to live a perfect life and then to die a sinner's death. Friends, he came and he died that we might live. That's the hope of Christmas. So that's one reason that we can have hope at Christmas, that Jesus has come. Here's a second reason. Not only has Jesus come, we can have hope at Christmas because Jesus will come. We can have hope at Christmas because Jesus will come. You see, the first advent, the first appearing, links to and points to and anticipates a second advent, a second coming. God's plan of redemption is not just the accomplishment of salvation on the cross, but it is also the fulfillment of that salvation in eternity. Friends, as sure as we can be looking back at the first advent of its historical reality and its impact on our lives for Jesus to be born and to live and then to die and be raised again, we can also look forward with that same kind of confident expectation. Turn with me to Titus 2. I've referred already to Titus 2, 11. We need to just see something in Titus 2 and then in Titus 3. Uh, Titus 2, 11 is the verse I read earlier. Uh, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's a reference to Jesus having had come. The grace of God, that's Jesus, has appeared. Look at verse 13. This is what we ought to do as people of God, waiting. This is how we ought to wait. Verse 13, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have hope at Christmas because we have the hope in Titus 2.13 that Jesus will come. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will meet us in the air. Here's what Titus 3.7 says. It's, it goes on to instruct Christians how to live in light of the second coming of Christ and 
in Titus 3, verse 7, it talks about that hope again and talks about the surety of being justified by God's grace. Look at 3, verse 7. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope, there it is again, of eternal life. 1 Peter 1 talks about a similar hope. Turn there to 1 Peter 1. It's a sure hope that we have that Jesus will come. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, uh, Jesus' first advent gave us salvation. He died for our sins on the cross. His second advent, spoken of here and in Titus 2 and 3, gives us a living hope. And it gives us an inheritance. Titus 3 says it makes us heirs of the hope of eternal life. We have inherited this hope that he will come back. And that hope, like I said, is a confident expectation. First Peter 1 says it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's that sure. Friends, the hope of Christmas is that Jesus' first coming by humble means anticipates His second coming in triumph. His first advent, we see that there was no room for Him in the end. And in His second advent, He will rule over the entire earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and so every heart should prepare him room. The first advent points to the second advent. And the fact that Jesus will come is cause for great hope for us. You see, hope is not just that God has done what he said he would, but that with confident expectation, he will do what he said he would do. Romans 5.2 puts our hope this way. It says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so at Christmas, we see that hope down the tunnel of time as we think about Jesus coming as a child. And we think of the parallel of our hope in this day and age and the hope of God's people before Jesus came. And it helps us to see that we hope just like they did. And it helps us and it strengthens us and it gives us rest for our hearts that we hope not in anything of ourselves, but we hope in the same faithful God. So friends, we have hope at Christmas because Jesus has come. And we have hope at Christmas because Jesus will come. And then third and finally, we have hope at Christmas because Jesus is now yours. Jesus is now yours. We await between these two advents, between these two 
appearances of our Savior. And as we wait, there can be pain and trouble and sickness and trial. I think Romans 8 describes that. Turn there. Describes it so well. Romans 8 helps us to understand what it means to wait faithfully between the coming of Jesus first and the coming of Jesus future second. It helps us because it captures so well what I think you and I feel and think and labor over and worry about. But it helps us because it sees us. It it identifies, it empathizes with where we're at. Look at Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Look at verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I think that so beautifully captures our waiting and our hope and our pain as we wait and we hope. Friends, what's so helpful about Christmas is that it's a time to think about, to set our minds and our hearts on the truth about what God has done for us in Christ and what God will do for us in Christ and what God therefore is doing for us even now in Christ. The hope of Christmas is that we can look back and we can look forward And we can know then what we have now. And friends, what we have now is so rich. The hopes and the cares and the worries of this life can all be brought to Him. We can cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us. He can be trusted. We can have hope because God and Jesus as well. They are who they say they are. And he will do what he says he will do. And I think the rest of Romans 8 so beautifully helps us understand the surety of the salvation that we have, but the security of the help that we have. I just want to give you a few snippets. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you sin, and when you sin, and when you sin again, 
If you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. That's true today. It's true tomorrow. And it's true into eternity. Jump all the way down to Romans 8, 34. And it speaks of that now no condemnation status, but then turns it a little bit and shows us the help we have. Notice the question there at the beginning of verse 34. Who is to condemn? That's rhetorical. Because what? Romans 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, right? Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? This is the answer. No one, because why? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And so Romans 8.1 helps us to understand that it is finished. Romans 8.34 helps us to see that not only is it finished, but the one who finished the work is at the Father's right hand, interceding for us and helping us always. And then look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Skip down to verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, the hope of Christmas is that Jesus is now yours. You see, Jesus has come, and Jesus will come again, but Jesus is also now yours. To have hope anchored in Advent past, and to also have hope anchored in Advent future, is to have confident hope of Christ's help now. And his love today, his intercession now and today, and his no condemnation work now and today. That's the true hope of Christmas, that Jesus has come, Jesus will come, and that Jesus is now yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We are so thankful that we are a people of great hope because we have a confident expectation, not in our own uh, earning our way to you, but that it is by your grace that you have sent your Son to be the atonement for sin. And that, Father, uh, if we place our faith in him, we have him. We have the truth of how he came and died a sinner's death. And we have him and the hope of eternal life with him. And yet, Lord, we so often give up the fact that we have him, and we have him now. So whatever, whatever Father, trouble or trial that we face, whether it's as trivial as finals, or it's as serious as a serious life issue, or it's friends or family or health or uh, trouble in finances, or it's a care that we have that no one else knows. 
Father, all of these things, sin or trial or weight upon us, we can bring them to you because of Christ who is at your right hand interceding on our behalf. Father, thank you for this hope that at Christmas we can see that truth so clearly as if through a kaleidoscope of hope. And so, Father, we are people thankful now and we sing again to you and uh, listen to your word read uh, as a people that have great hope. Help us to rejoice that hope that we have and that fellowship that we have with one another and with you and your son tonight. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.